Welcome back to the Cousin Caesar Show on another Wednesday, which means I'm with another uh, comic creator. And this week I have another special guest. Um, his name is TJ Sterling. He is um, obviously an artist, but also he is running a uh, basically a comic distribution or a publisher called RAE Comics. And uh, I got him here for the show today. How are you doing today, TJ? Hey, Mike, I'm good, man. I am absolutely um, honored and happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Again, I'm TJ Sterling, president lead artist of Ray Comics. Yes, uh, you guys have a you guys have a Kickstarter going on right now, which we'll get into. Uh, Joystick Angels. Yes, sir. Uh, we're going to take a step back, and of course, I wanted I wanted you to come on and obviously uh, tell a little bit about yourself, and also um, also make sure I don't mess up this name. Tell us more about obviously RAA, which is Red Arcus Entertainment. Yeah, you could just say Ray Comics, make it simple. Well, I, I thought it was interesting because I obviously I obviously looked through you guys and I was like, huh. And it shows in the year about us all the whole the whole spiel. I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ray Comics is a uh, publishing imprint where we focus on telling uh, unique stories about underrepresented characters and just you know unique situations. Um, the goal really is to tell um, cool stories that are just, you know, off the wall, different and unique and uh, just really kind of out there. And we just push the the envelope as much as possible with the stories that we tell. Yeah, no. And um, you guys, for also listeners to hear, they also have a one series already down in like under their belt right now is uh, Okamis. That was uh, yes. you are fortunate enough to give me the the first uh, well issue zero and it was uh i liked it it was pretty interesting it's definitely in the more the just the martial arts side of like the comics and no i really dig it i think it was a really cool setup and made me maybe want to look into the other issues so yeah music to my ears <laughs> <laughs> so uh what uh what got what got you in let's hear your background so what'd you get how'd you get into the whole field and obviously got into how RAE opened up, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically, I mean, I've been an avid comic book collector and fan my entire life. I mean, I started collecting in the late 80s. Um, and I just was always a fan of the art and the stories. And it was something that I think really took shape in like the early 90s when I started to see, you know, the Jim Lees and the Todd McFarlands and, you know, these really amazing cutting edge artists doing their own thing. And um, I was really, really inspired by that independence and that, um, you know, just that style of art to me was just so next level that uh, for me, I just was inspired and I wanted to draw a comic. So, I mean, I just stayed within the art world over, you know, the years growing up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and, you know, went to, you know, art classes, you know, during the, you know, the summertime and, majored in art and illustration in college and eventually got my internship working with uh, Marvel for about a year as a production intern, um, which was absolutely incredible. And um, shortly after that, well, about five years after I, I uh, finished my internship at Marvel, I started my own comic book company and that's Ray Comics. Um, and really, you know, my favorite genre growing up was the Sentai genre, you know, the VR Troopers, the Beetleborgs, the, you know, Ultraman 6s of, of that genre was like my favorite. So I wanted to do an American style comic book focused in that vein with martial arts, but also spliced a little bit with Eastern mythology and, you know, a little bit of Dragon Ball Z in there. 
So kind of mixing lots of different genres and elements into one comic book. And that's really how our flagship title, Okamus, was born. Um, and I've been going to conventions for the past, um, you know, five plus years selling Okamus and, you know, building other properties behind the scenes. And, you know, fast forward to today, um, this, you know, last month we debuted the uh, Kickstarter campaign for our second title um, from Ray Comics, Joystick Angels. Yeah. And then... Uh... I'm more give you on here, Ozzy. Congratulations. At least we're now it's funded, but obviously we're doing it on stretch goals. So that's always great to hear. And through the other interviews I've done, it's really awesome to hear that Kickstarter is definitely like the place to be for if you're getting into comics. Cause also like there's such a great uh, community there that pushes for these, these smaller titles to get actually funded. Like you, I've heard, a lot more success stories than I've heard bad ones. Of course, there's bad ones, but you know what I mean? Yes, I'm glad to hear everybody's, there's a good community there in Kickstarter. Uh, what would you, uh, can you give us a little, what, because I saw that, because I see that you did an internship with Marvel. What is that infamous, um, uh, what is it, the pool that, that they do in Marvel that you're talking about? Uh, bullpen? Is that yeah, what you're talking bullpen, about? The bullpen, excuse me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the bullpen goes back to the, uh, I think it goes back to like the 70s when, um, you know, you'd have a room full of editors, um, pencilers, inkers, artists, writers, um, and they were all there kind of like in this this think tank type of situation where they were coming up with stories and arcs and, you know, different directions to take certain books. And, you know, a, a lot of that essence still exists today. Um, when I was there, all of the artists basically were working from home. Most of the freelancers were with the exception of a couple of old school inkers like pond scum who worked in the building. But, um, most of the editors, you know, the production staff, you know, the writers, some of those people were in the building pretty regularly. And that's what the bullpen was all about. So I got a chance to really, um, do a lot of cool stuff with the production side of things. And that's really kind of where I learned, how to assemble a comic book and how to run that business, you know, on the back end, which is just as important as drawing and writing. I okay, that's good. No, I gets me. Uh, I've heard the infamous bullpen, even though I said pool, but yeah, the bullpen, and then of course, um, just more to hear what it's about, like the idea that you've been out there on the, we're in the whole zone of it too. That's really cool to hear. And then uh, I'm also more because I've obviously did a little bit of background on you i see now i understand i know that motor city comic con is big but i see i see why because you as you grew up in michigan so i'm like all right michigan represent because obviously i'm in i'm out of, coming out of davis and so I'm like close to flint so oh nice yeah i just my my friend from flint was just visiting here yesterday in my house so i mean i um i absolutely love michigan i, I love the cons there i love the people and um Again, the artistic city that I grew up in, Grand Rapids, was um, a, a huge engine for creativity. There were so many people that loved anime, that loved comics, that loved games. And just being in that space during that time as a kid really just fueled my interest in comics and the arts. So I'm just super grateful to be from that area. I think it also goes into um, one of your uh, guys' um, Joystick Angels uh, stretch goals because you have your brother coming in for... Uh, music to do like original soundtrack for it because it sounds crazy how i'm saying that because uh there was a video game that just came out called aerial knights and they had a whole like like 
uh, original soundtrack that actually blew it up better than like even like how the game did. You know what I'm saying? And they're from Detroit. So the idea, I think music is really into Michigan's uh, background. That's kind of more surprising because I think it's really cool that you did that same idea. Because like what brought your brother in for Joystick Angels compared to like Okamas? It's a great question, man. I mean, again, um, you know, Okamas just, it, it didn't feel like it was necessary to have a soundtrack. I mean, I do, some of my fans have done original music for me and sent it to me and stuff like that. And we are planning on doing something eventually. Um, but Joystick Angels was very much an intentional decision because uh, me and my brother were co-writing the book. Um, so it's, you know, a, a joint voice between the two of us. And um, we're kind of, you know, Joystick Angels was was created and inspired by all those 80s and 90s video games, you know, uh, like like the Star Foxes and the Gradius and the Darius Twins, those types of things where you had these amazing games that had great soundtracks. And you can't really have an amazing game or an amazing story like the ones that they had in those games without a soundtrack. So to, to us, it just kind of felt like it was um, it made the most sense. Like you got to have a soundtrack with it. And my brother has composed eight instrumental, amazing tracks for these uh, characters in the story, plus some other entities. And um, like I said, it just made sense. And we're offering physical CDs to people, which people are really excited about because now it's a novelty item. Yeah, yeah. Who knew CDs? You know, a, a decade ago, you know, were normal. You could buy them anywhere. And now they're a novelty item because they don't make them anymore. So it's interesting. No, it's real cool because that's why I'm like, I look through you guys' Kickstarter. I'm like, God dang, they're doing a whole CD and then obviously bring a soundtrack in for a comic book. That's really cool. And like the idea of um, it just shows like those little special things that are only on that Kickstarter like website, which is really cool to hear. And then, right. uh, yeah. And here's my one kind of like uh, the show Hot Ones question because I was looking through your Instagram. What's with you and Aaliyah, my friend? Oh, saw, uh, well, I mean, I, you know, oh, uh, I mean, I just I happen to be a big fan of her music. And, you know, she's, you know, uh, a Michigan born, you know, creative who I thought was very edgy and unique. And just, um, yeah, man, I mean, I just I like talent that is not um, oversaturated or overdone. I think artists like her and, you know, there's many artists like her that just had such a you know, truly unique and creative voice. And that's kind of what I aspire to with everything that I do. Like, how do I make my voice as creative as I can through my writing, through my drawing and through the, the properties that I'm releasing? So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I like to celebrate, you know, good art, great artists anytime I can. No, because I, I meant that in the I'll do all respect I can because, no, I was like watching. I'm like, look, oh, yeah, that's cool. Art. And then like, oh, look, a, a drawing of Aaliyah. And then a couple more things. Oh, he's at a comic kind of then more elite. I'm like, oh, well, like there has to be a story to this more than just obviously, yeah, just be in respect. I know that she's from Detroit, and I thought it was kind of funny that um, RAE kind of is now out of New York. So I was like, you guys are going down like the whole idea of like how Ali has been really big into uh, New York rappers, well, DMX's old old life and stuff. So I was like, huh, just was wondering if there's a more bigger story to that. I, I wish there was a cool story, like like I ran into her when I was out here or something. But I mean that that was definitely not the case. I mean I just um I moved to the New York area, you know, in two thousand one, just a few months after September eleventh, and after a few months after she died in a plane crash. So um, you know, but again, I think anybody from the mid, well, really anybody 
in different parts of the country used to come to New York for various things. And a lot of times it was music or it was art or it was fashion. People came to New York for a reason to take their career to the next level. And I came here for school and for career stuff. And that's really what that whole thing was like. So I guess the, the journey kind of parallels itself on that end. Right. No, of course. And then you're in the, you're in that generation of also because well, duh, Marvel and I think even DC are, they both are coming out of New York. They used to like for right. They were, I mean, DC's whole publishing imprint was out of New York and moved to the Cal, you know, California just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Marvel's still growing strong out here, but Marvel moved their film division. Marvel studios is in Manhattan beach, California. So, um, I mean, you know, that you go where the industry is for whatever it is yeah. that you're planning on doing. Of course. All right. And then we'll get in. Now let's get into some more of the joystick angels. So of course you said it was from your growing up with your, with arcades and also just kind of like a, a dream mission with your brother. Like, of course, in the story wise, um, what are some things that, um, how about this? Yeah. What are, what's your top five shooter game? Like, you know, uh, space shooters that you would, uh, take on a, uh, Island. If you had to choose. I mean, well, um, I mean, I guess I would just say, you know, again, definitely Gra uh, Gradius, um, Darius Twin, you know, Star Fox. I think there's one called, I think it might be Galaga, a uh, Galaga. I, I can't remember the the, Latin, the name of it, but it starts with a G, and it's only available in an arcade form. Um, those are my top four. I don't have a fifth one. But Did you ever yeah. get into R type or anything or? Uh... Um, I, I do remember R-Type and I liked it, but I never got into it as much because, again, I was like this huge Star Fox fan. So I followed the entire Star Fox franchise, you know, for years afterwards because I just love the characters. I love the design. I loved everything about it. So and again, you know, you're going to see a lot of that influence in Joystick Angels when it comes to like something like Star Fox. Yeah. And uh, like without just because of uh, the art, you can see also like there's a, a panda girl or something and all that stuff and it looks really cool and then um i do have to more just more congratulate because it is it's really i really like your guys' art style it has a really great like um obviously the pencil of course but then also just the coloring has like a really good like pop in it just looks so good in the sense of like a um not even just video game but it has like that really good anime like richness to the coloring i really enjoyed it looks really good I just more to give you a appreciation for that. And then what is your guys's uh what's the what's the future of RAE? Like what's the end goal of like we're going to be like this, we're going to start collecting maybe other people's IP and bringing them aboard. What's the plan? Um the plan for Ray Comics is to um just continue to make great stories, honestly. Um you know, before Spider-Man had, you know, his first animated show or, or, or TV show or movie, he had 30 years of content behind him. Yeah. And, you know, so did the other various Marvel and DC properties they had, you know. I mean, when Superman came out in like the 70s, you know, I think the one with Christopher Reeves, you know, he had over 50 years of content, like, you know, behind him. I mean, that's kind of, that's a big deal mm -hmm. when you have a library of great content that you can pull stories from. I mean, every single DC movie or Marvel movie is pulled from comic book stories. I mean, they're not just fleshed out of nowhere. Um, so I, I think there's something to be said about just continuing to make great content. And as the chips fall and as things happen, you know, more opportunities avail themselves like games and movies and TV, 
you take them when it's right. And I think, uh, you know, someone who does it really, really well is someone like Robert Kirkman. Um, you know, he spent years building Invincible to be this, you know, incredibly huge, you know, fan driven book that people loved and people wanted to see. And then, you know, once it was done, he moved on to something else and then gets this Netflix deal and, um, reinvents Invincible for the modern era again. You know, it was already a modern era comic book, but he reinvented it again the right way. So, you know, you just have to do things correctly. And I think we're not trying to outpace ourselves. We're just trying to grow organically and grow the right way. So it's all just for the, so the, of course, I'm not saying it's like to the end, never say never. But so the plan is obviously just more like self-chosen works of comic books, like your own writing, nothing like looking for maybe. Like if like um, someone came up and said, I do have an idea, but of course I don't know how to publish it. Like you wouldn't like say, yeah, we got, we can be your publisher and all that stuff. Kind of like a, like a scout or a mad cave and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I've entertained the idea of being a, um, you know, having create our own titles. Cause I mean, I do get approached a lot about with people with ideas and wanting to put their IP through an engine that they can really relate to. And, you know, again, Ray comics is about, you know, the fans and about making content for you guys, because we love you. We can't exist without you. So that's the reason why we do what we do. And we put the fans first and not money first. So people want to get on board with that. And I'm very, very grateful every time I get that request, but we're currently not doing creator owned stuff in terms of other people's IPs. Everything that comes through Ray Comics right now is either something I've personally written or something that I've co-written with another author. So right now we're doing all of Ray Comics IPs, or we're doing, you know, collaborative projects. And that's pretty much what we're sticking with at the moment. Just making sure, you know, you said Robert Kurtman, and I know that he runs the Skybound part of, like, he gets to do that with Image. So I didn't know, like, if you got the, some uh, think pans already on the fire or anything thinking about that, because yeah, I think you guys are doing a pretty cool thing. I mean, for the Thank little you. bit that um, it was kind of um, odd, you guys, uh, just start following me and follow you. And I'm also just more, in, I really, I get into like digging deep into people. So, you know, it's really cool to see Thanks. you guys do that. And then um, how about even you, let's say, are you so, cause that's also another question I have also, cause I've seen it through other creators. Do you have any, if you had the keys to any IP, what kind of, who would you like to write for, about? Like what uh, character? Could you, if you could have like the the license for one, one good arc, don't have to be just one book, you know, get you six issues. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, an absolute, like one of my absolute favorite comic book characters is Swamp Thing. Um, and personally, I think like he's one of those characters that's I don't know, had some of the best writers and some of the best artists on, but never really gets as much exposure as someone like a you know a batman or a superman and and i just i've always loved swamp thing i've always wanted to, to write that character or draw it one of the two um and maybe one day uh but yeah that's that's probably one of my all-time favorites that'd be really cool because also i've i've come to terms swamp thing is definitely the real like you are a real comic fan if you pick swamp thing correct because I, I like swamp thing but also it's not it wasn't like you're like what opened the door to comics for me i'm like Hey, wait, wait a minute. Who's this green guy? I'm like, okay, then it's pretty gets pretty cool. I think that's really uh I think it's a really noticeable uh, pinpoint somebody does. Like, oh, you're a comic fan? If they say swamp thing, I give you credentials. All right, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, man. I mean, again, you know, um, he's one of the few, few characters that's been able to beat some of the top guys in certain stories. But again, like his, you know, the the philosophical, creative um, brain behind some of the writing of Swamp Thing is really incredible. And, um, you know, if people really want to treat, you know, to something, you know, just that challenges your way of thinking. I mean, you know, read the Alan Moore Swamp Thing arc, uh, which is, I think it spans five or six volumes. I think six or maybe maybe over six, but I mean, it's a really incredible series. Um, my brother's reading it right now, actually, because it's something I recommended to him. But yeah, um, you know, there's there's way more other characters because to me, I was never I liked Superman's powers, but I was never like a Superman fan. Like, I mean, I, the whole Boy Scout thing never really been my bag. Um, Captain America, not really. I mean, I'm more of a fan of the Captain America movie character than I am the actual comic character. Um you know, so things like that, you know, real, real interesting, unique, multifaceted characters. Right. How you just said, it, is this your brother's, is Joystick Angels your brother's like first time in the comic uh, spectrum? Yeah, it's the first time he's ever written a comic book. And obviously he was following my lead since I do this all the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's his authentic voice in the story, which is really kind of cool. It's two voices in this story. And um, again, you know, he gets to create a soundtrack based on these characters. And so he really needed to take his brain and put it into the space of what this character thinks, what this character feels. And then it creates this like multi-sensory experience where you're able to read and listen to a soundtrack at the same time. And then also feel who these characters are and get to know them a little bit more, which is really kind of the most awesome part about the entire you know, project itself. Right. And. Well, yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to come out. And also, that's just more touch base with the Kickstarter. Um, the Kickstarter is funding how many? Just one book? Or is it the first two books? Well, um, issue one is already done. So, I mean, again, you know, we pride ourselves at Ray Comics um, in terms of funding most of our pretty much all of our IPs first, and then asking for assistance in terms of printing and taking it to the next level. Okay. And that's what we did with the last Ochemist Kickstarter. So. Issue one is already done. All we need to do is basically get it printed. Um, and then we're, we're trying to raise as much funds as we can. We're trying to reach 20K within, you know, the next week and a half, so to speak, to um, yes. fund issue two. So we can give everyone issue two for free. That's the goal. Okay. So that's even better for me to understand. So because like, we, like we're trying to tiptoe around, this comes out Wednesday. So about roughly 10 days left. And you guys are in, you're close. You guys are close to the stretch goal, I believe. Cause last time I checked, I think you guys like around 15, you're like what five away from doing that. And then for sure, 20, you know, get the issue two going. Uh, that's good to hear. So yeah. Uh, joystick angels, I guess also that's, um, what is the, is there an elevator pitch you could say about the actual, the story that's going to happen in the one and into two, like as in like that, not just like, Oh yeah. Think about the genre, but yeah. Can you give us like that elevator pitch, maybe a little teaser, what the story is bringing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, joystick angels is a sci-fi why a space opera comic series centered around five young space pilots who are tasked with a um, very, very crazy, mission and that's to basically save the universe from an alien evil alien empire 
Now, this particular alien empire is parasitic in nature and hive-minded, and it goes from planet to planet, absorbing resources, absorbing life forms, incorporating it into the, the, to their horde, and then moving on. So they're like the ultimate virus, they're the ultimate parasite, and they're the ultimate villain that all of humanity has to rally against, so to speak. Now, in this particular story, Earth has been destroyed. There's no more Earth. All of the humans live on a space colony called the Libor Space Station. And they've united in a military effort to stop these aliens. But the way it works is that the um, angels, the f these five kids, are on a space squadron of, of fighter pilots. And there's multiple other squadrons of space pilots just like them. And they all have to compete in this tournament called the Quantum Elite Space Tournament. Um, and it happens every 10 years. And that basically gives the officials in the Libor government these are the people who can lead the charge and lead us to safety and, you know, save the universe. So uh, it's a huge, it's a huge honor. Um, it's very much like in the, you know, Star Wars rebel type of, you know, um, you know, vein and, you know, there's, there's Star Trek references in there. So, I mean, you're going to get that really cool space opera feel that you've gotten with those other IPs. So it's just a real fun story. And I know you guys are going to love it. No, it so that gives me a better description. It looks, it sounds really cool. Sounds, of course, like you said, it's a tag team, a ragtag team of like, you know, Star Fox style. Uh, of course, they're kids. So I get like the when you're describing it and also seeing the characters, I think of like, you know, My Hero Academia vibes of like the the type of like kids are learning to become the leaders of the, the you know, the colony. So it's really cool. And of course, that's uh, thanks for coming on, man. And then, uh, yeah, you want you. Uh, why don't you also then. You know, do you know, tell everybody where they can follow you and all that fun jazz? And of course, of course, in the description of the show, I'll have the Kickstarter and of course how to follow you and all that jazz also. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Um, yeah, super easy to find me, guys. Um, I'm at Ray Comics, R A E Comics on IG, on Twitter, and my website is raycomics.com, R A E Comics.com. Um, I respond very quickly. If you have any questions, I'm on Facebook. If you Google my name, um, super easy to find. And of course the Kickstarter, if you go to kickstarter.com and you search joystick angels, the pro, uh, the, uh, project will come right up. I encourage you guys to donate, help us get to 20 K so we can give you issue one and issue two and a whole bunch of other great stuff. Yes. Uh, like he said, it sounds like a pretty cool uh, uh, project. Of course, they just need a couple more stretches to get to issue two on this same project of backing of Kickstarter. So, yes, go over there. Give them, a, give them some support. It sounds like it's going to be a really fun ride in the book. But, yeah, uh, again, thank you much, uh, TJ, with Ray Comics. And then, of course, like we say every week, uh, you know, be good to each other. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right, and peace. Hey, yeah, I'm still here. I'm more just pucking with you, um, but yeah, I'm I'm here because I'm going to do something also kind of special because I was teasing it on the regular show, but uh, obviously, just as you can hear from this show, the recording actually happened. Um, RAE Comics, really cool dude, and all that stuff. Hey, like I said, go go pick up, go to his Kickstarter, you know, pledge. It sounds like it's a pretty good deal. 
in a sense. And also after this recording, I actually did go do it. So I actually am part of, I'm part of the crew. So uh, you and I can all have issue one of Joystick Angels. And if we get up to 20,000, like you said, we'd be up for issue two. But I brought I wanted uh, more because um, we are about to actually have history in an auction on June between June 17th and June 19th is the start of this auction. This auction is going to go for a couple months because of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, one thing I love to learn is also about other collectors and stuff about this whole comic book stuff. And that's why I think it's a special time. And also coincidentally, this I'm recording this on Memorial day night and uh, the newest pedigree comic collection has been announced well a couple of days ago, or earlier this may it was announced but it's going up for auction the newest pedigree uh comic collection is called the promise collection and let's take a step back and let me explain what a pedigree comic collection is a pedigree comic collection is a cgc recognized collection of books and usually these comic books are ones that are at least, I'm going to give myself a, a leeway of being correct, like a 1960, but I think it's I think it's actually 1950. 1960 or older comic collection that is by one uh, owner. So it's not like a multi, like, well, I got it from this guy, this guy. It's like a, they, all these collections have a story because it comes from like, my it's like a grandfather like saw so generation after generation was holding on to these books and then have been brought to uh the CGC to be recognized they get their own special label like this nice crisp looking black and gold pedigree uh, like it says it tells you that it's from the promise collection all this stuff and also before like again the newest there's only been to, uh, the Promise Collection just was declared, and that is the 61st collection of these that's ever been officially recognized. And let's take a step back and uh, for a uh, more of a rationality of what I'm talking about. This is this is a quick synopsis from the first ever uh, pedigree collection, which is codenamed basically it's Edgar Church. AKA the mile high collection. It's, it was uh, the earliest pedigree collection ever found. It turned up in Kansas city in the late 1960s. So like that's when the first one was founded. And I think it took a little bit for them to recognize it, but, and featured a large, uh, a collection of nearly 250 high grade number one issues that ran from 1937 through the forties. The people who purchased it sold only a handful of issues each year. But because the, the was it the accumulation was not considered a pedigree until the 80s, and because they have no distinct markings, many copies have anonymously vanished into collections. Besides copies of Batman One, Flash One, Green Lantern One, Planet One, Jumbo One, and Superman One, the collection also contained one of only four pedigree copies of Action Comics Number One. That copy graded at 8.0 and was first the first comic book to sell at $1 million in 2011. So, so like I said, these are about these are golden age collections, B 
being recognized from the CGC to graded, and obviously the uh, this the one that we're talking about, the Promise one, is going up for auction at the middle of June. But just more of a retrospect, also for so that was like two hundred fifty. Here is the the last before the Promise one, the last so the sixtieth Pedigree collection was founded in nineteen ninety nine. So this is why I'm saying this is like history going to happen on June 17th of uh, this uh, this collection. But there's even more to that, too, because like Promise is also adding more to this thing before once we get there. But here's about the Chinese Chinatown. Earn, unearthed from the Chinatown area of Vancouver by Patrick uh, Shaughnessy in 1999. This collection is a historical representation of american comic books available to canadians during the 40s and 50s the collection totaled over 100 or yeah 1300 comic books and included many sought after titles from dc timely nador fiction house quality and dell the owner was of chinese origin who worked as a cook on the canadian pacific ferry picking up his comic books at a local shop in Vancouver to improve his English comprehension skills. Most copies exhibit either a handwritten mark or stamp of in Chinese. Nearly a third are currently the highest grade copies of the CGC census. The census is basically when you go on the website. So like you're like, hey, I want to uh, get a book graded. And then it tells you how many of that grade is out there. It kind of explains itself. Uh, with more than 250 copies graded at 9.4 or higher and over 80% receiving off-white or white or white pages. So that discussion, because that gets into this promise one, um, off-white and white. So think about it. Um, some of these pedigrees are, of course, they get the, like I, as you heard, like the, the, the first one, kind of like 8.0s, but the longer we go, uh, some of them magically get these weirder uh, ways to hold them. Some of them are just plastic bags. Some find like the probably the first ever like Ziplocs. They didn't have bag and boards like we do now. But the idea of getting these such quality uh, comics at uh, to still have white pages is still phenomenal because you think that's okay fifties. And we'll, we'll even go that out the, from the 40s. So 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 20, 2010, 2020. That is 80 years of history and being able to still be able to hold. So back when it was, it was 60 years for that because it was 1999. But the idea of 60 years of keeping its uh, standards up to the white page is phenomenal so that means that was really good storage a lot no sunlight really a lot no sunlight or just you know what i mean i didn't really get into those informations about uh those stories in particular because to be more surprised for okay those ones were found in 99 at the latest uh the promise collection that is just was found is actually going to blow these ones out the water and actually, I have the story for uh, this uh, for the Promise Collection. Just give me one second. Okay. So I'm just going to give you like a little story time about it. And right now, 
The owners of the Promise Collection want to stay anonymous. So these are obviously names that protect the blah, blah, blah. But these are some of the information that came from Heritage Auctions, the ones who are running the auction at the middle of June. Um, but it's a really cool story, I think. Uh, in the early 1950s, a young man called Robert was drafted by the Army to fight in Korea. His younger brother, known as Junie, enlisted in hopes of keeping a watch over Robert. Kind of sounds like a movie. Junie had but one request to his big brother, that Robert take care of his collection of funny books, should anything happen to him in battle. Robert knew how dear those books were to his brother, so he promised him, yes, of course, he would take care of those funny books, if something happened, God forbid. Then, Junie was killed in action. He was 21 years old. Robert came home from the war and fulfilled his promise to his brother. The comic books were carefully boxed up and put in an attic, where they stayed for over half a century. When their names become known, the collecting community remembered the original fans who have passed their collections down through the decades to be appeared uh, appreciated in modern day. Basically, then also like they gave people. Uh, readers, collectors such as Edgar Church, who um, Edgar Church also, like we said, is a part of the Mile High one. He's also been part of other pedigrees, but just stick with me because I want to find also like the Promise Collection becomes the 61st pedigree collection recognized by the CGC. And uh, the idea that I'm trying to get to is um, this collection because now the the rules have been also altered about like collections. So maybe I read something there a little quick synopsis, but this promise collection has a five over 5,000 golden age comics. And the crazier part is 95 of them are still at a blistering high grade is the tale of the young. It's just crazy. So let's give a point, uh, more of a example. So, uh, we are one of the ones that they have finally got to grade because they're not done grading all of them. Uh, is uh, where is it? They have uh, Captain America issue. Where is it? Seventy four. And for in the census, I believe the census. Uh, hold on one second. Okay, I just want to double check before I say anything. So, this Captain America 74, I know I'm talking audio, so I don't really showing you it, but if you guys look up at the Golden Age, so this is legit uh, Captain America 74, um, this is one of the first covers in the, in the run that um, has this, because I even looked them up, this one and then the next one after it are the only ones in this Captain America run that they switched the, the title to basically be like in smaller letters, Captain America, and then try to sell it by saying weird tales. It's a very phenomenal looking cover. It has like a more drip, like a giant, like Grim Reaper looking red skull with giant bony hand, like, you know, um, scary hands and like a, like has Captain America and Bucky, like look like they're in agony and stuff, but it's just more to look horrid. It was apparently, through the research I found, like it was during the time where uh, superhero books were going okay, but horror books were really sprouting and popping, like it was being real hot. 
So the idea of in the Promise Collections Weird Tales, or excuse me, Captain America 74, is a 9.2. And I want you to think about that. A 9.2. The the closest version of this book that's on the census, so the one that they know about and recognized, the closest one grade to it is an 8.0. So that is a huge jump of time. And then give you another perspective. In 2019, a 7.5 version of this same book sold for $27,000. So do some math. This book is going to hit one. This is one of the many books that is going to hit over $100,000. This book also is, they the people that are talking about it, even the Heritage Auction said some of these books on this are the most pristine version of these books they've ever seen. And I know they're trying to sell the, the sell it to buyers. But the idea, you know what I mean, of a set 74, if they do once a month, if they were, you know, and the, this is almost 50 years old. And it still looks like it came off of a newsstand shelf at 9.2. That is out of this world. And then um, another one, just just the more for a, because uh, I, 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 I see this is interesting, that they have, the Promise Collection also has Detective Comics 140 at a 9.6 grade. And a Detective Comics 140 is the first appearance of the Riddler. And is the first one that actually has the Riddler on the cover and apparently, like, you know, people, uh, enthusiasts say that is big back then. Because, like, uh, the Riddler being on a cover is huge. Like, even, like, like the Joker was never on a cover until way later. And he was already recognized. Because, like, the Joker was in issue one and all that stuff. So, it's the idea of, and then let me get the, the kind of the perspective to hold on. All right. Here's the perspective. A 7.5 version of this Detective Comics 140 with the Riddler on it sold in the same auction house, so Heritage Auctions, this year in April for um, $47,800. A 7.5. And the, the people that are the enthusiasts, the ones who actually are Golden Age comic people, are are they don't know where the where the ceiling is for these prices. I just think it's crazy and um I'm probably gonna figure I'm gonna figure it out before of course two days from now. I'm gonna put a link in so you can understand you can this auction is is gonna be you can watch it online just to be part of it. If you just wanted something to talk or I know E3 is gonna be around the corner, but the idea of this is some true and true uh history of seeing some comics at almost a quality like you're back in time that's the more part of it that sounds so interesting uh what is it uh they also have like usa comics 14 at a 9.6 submariner comic at or number and uh but yeah i just i don't know i think this is a pretty amazing one offshoot one 
uh, that I'll talk about right now is uh, there is one from like the Fox Comics company called Phantom Lady. Phantom Lady 17. The Promise Collection has it at 9.6. It did get the grade of of pink paper, pink pages, but everyone in the the in the part of the community said that pink pages is very common in Fox Comics. So that's not like a turnover because in here's the perspective. This Phantom Lady issue had a 9.4 version of the same comic sold in 2019 for $127,000. So, again, I don't know where the roof or the ceiling is for a point two more. Because obviously that just means more better quality, more better this. And it's just very, very crazy. And I just more, I want to be able to see some of these like offshoot things like all American comics. Like I would just more like this one will have a 9.6 version of all American comics. I want to say, I think it was 16. The first appearance of Solomon Grundy. It's not the, it's not the creme de la creme. Apparently there's a, been a 9.8 through the church uh, pedigree, but fan, uh, collection, but the idea of a 9.6, uh, the people I listened to, they said a 7.5 sold for like 33000 So the idea of this will be a 9.8 is such off the record scale of knowing. I just wanted to share it. I think it is great. I think um, you can't. Comic books are definitely American Pie baseball fucking American stuff. I know there's been funny books everywhere, but the idea of the way that the comic industry is now it's all American. I think it's just crazy to hear like for all shitty history of America, like there's still some shiny moments like with comic books. I think it's really cool to hear. And um, even with like the Robert and Junie story, which I didn't make it up. It was just, they just renamed the names. I think it's a really cool moment to hear about Memorial day. Cause obviously they uh, were in the Korean war and stuff, but Again, thank you guys for listening, and uh, just more happy to say it because I wanted to talk about it because also I think this would be better so I can have a quote-unquote shorter, don't have to stretch it out longer than I had to, convo. Again, thank you for RAE Comics to come on the show, and thanks everybody who's ever been on the show. Uh, but yeah, um, again, please read your descriptions of the show, of, of my show. I put links in there for everything. Links for people to follow, people, uh, comic books to go buy. But yeah, go hopefully have a good time and you'll see this and you'll probably see me tweet. If you follow at MikeFowler93, you'll see me tweet on June 17th and the 19th about this auction because I think it's going to be huge. I'm going to watch, I'm probably going to watch it. Uh, it's through Heritage Auction if I don't, if you don't see me put it in the description. But yeah, but. That's me, and then uh, you guys be good to each other, and I'll catch you next week. Peace.